Hey, hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for, what the hell is it? It's Leap Day. Happy, happy Leap Day. The 29th of February. You don't get to say that very often. 29th of February. Kind of want to write a check today, just so I did, but I won't. Anyway, welcome to it. Don't forget about patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Support the program. Enter to win Kurt Schlichter's autographed book, and all sorts of great stuff there. Check it out. See vous play. Now, yesterday I drove the uh, the wife and kids to the airport. It's you know, Reagan Airport. It's about an hour and a half. If It'd be about 50 minutes if people knew how to drive in Washington, D.C. They don't know how to drive in Washington, D.C. So it took about an hour and 20 minutes. My wife could be late to tomorrow. She just could, if she's listening, I'm going to get in trouble. But, you know, she knows that I just tell it how it is. My wife could be late to tomorrow. And I have learned that I, well, I guess I haven't learned because I didn't do it. I got to lie to her about the start time of things. But she booked the flight, so I can't, can't lie to her about that. But I tell, you know, she knows when you got to leave. We get there on time in the olden days, but it was too late to check bags. So she and the girls had to sit around and wait. So I had to sit around and wait at the airport. Um, I, I, I'm not late. I'm early. My wife is always late. When we were dating, she started making me late because I'd stop by to pick her up. And I hate being late. If I'm 15 minutes, if I'm not 15 minutes early, I'm late. And I get mad. So I said, you know, I'm not going to meet you anymore. I'll meet you down where we're going to meet people. Like you, you're making me late, which bothers me. And then suddenly, once I showed her that I was serious, she started being on time. But she just gets so busy and is so focused and forgets and lose track of time and everything. And so I'm like, we're going to cut it pretty close. I didn't think that they'd cut off. We were there for 45 minutes before the flight. I didn't think they'd cut off loading bags to the thing. I thought maybe they'd go, well, you're going to have to check these bags. I mean, I didn't think about it. I thought we were there in time. But um, I thought they'd say you got to check your bags at the gate, right? Sometimes they do that. Like you're just, you're not going to check, although I wouldn't recommend checking bags, but she's traveling with two young kids, so you got to do what you got to do. But it was uh, not even that wasn't even an option. They just said somehow and for some weird reason that the flight was restricted at this point which probably means they overbooked it. A whole bunch of people brought a bunch of bags. They charged the hell out of them. They don't, and whatever, and they were full. Whatever the case was. Or they just didn't want to add more bags because they didn't want to burn more gas. So I had to sit around Reagan. They had to, instead of a direct flight, go through one of the Carolinas, like Charlotte. So they made it there. And now I am on my own, and it's got to, it's weird. It's weird being around the house by myself. All the cats are very attentive to me anyway because I'm the giver of food and treats. But now they're like, there's no alternative. There's no, there's no five and six year old tackling me in the hallway to pet me against my will. You have to do that. And I'm like, what is going on? I'm sitting there, and they've been fed. I'm doing some writing last night, and they're staring at me like, all right, entertain us, old man. 
You better do something. Dance, monkey, dance. I'm like, okay. I don't know what to tell you. I'm not going to do that. I'll pet you. And they were all on the bed this morning because they don't know what to do otherwise. Anyway, let us uh, get to the news of the day because the news of the day, you know, it's, it's, long, it's lonely right here. I'm, I'm not going to like invite people. I might invite a couple friends over to maybe go golfing this weekend. One or two. Uh, if one says no, then I'll go with another one. Two, two people over at once is too much of a crowd. So Todd and Brian and maybe Gary go through and see who's available. Or we might go golfing, depending on the weather. But, like, it's not going to be... I had friends who are like, hall pass! Like, it's not a hall pass. Your family's visiting family, for God's sakes. And happy birthday to my uh, father-in-law, by the way, today. 70 years old. And, um, yeah. I wish I could have made it, but I got a bunch of meetings tomorrow and I can't miss. And then I've got a uh, a doctor's appointment on Tuesday that I can't miss. So, like... I'd be there for like a day on Saturday and I'd be already past the birthday. So I just sent the family. They want to see the kids anyway. I'm unpleasant to be around. I know that. Anyway, let us get started. Last, there's a lot going on again. Last night, yesterday, I get was the primary in Michigan. Now it is, there's also a caucus this weekend. The Michigan system is all screwed up. It's way different from when I was a kid. And the Republicans allocate some of their delegates through the primary and some of their delegates through the caucus, whatever. It's net, not really in doubt as to who's going to win both and get the, the delegates that's just going to be Donald Trump. Nikki Haley isn't even really trying in Michigan because she recognizes this, so there's no reason for you not to. And on the Democratic side... It doesn't matter either because the whole system has been rigged to favor Joe Biden. And Joe Biden won. Donald Trump won. And you go, ooh, what, well, what were the, uh, the results? Well, on the Democratic side... Is Donald Trump won in a blowout, right? 68.2% of the vote to Nikki Haley's 26.6% of the vote. Nikki Haley isn't going to let that impact her. It's amazing how the Haley campaign is conducting themselves. If Whatever respect you had for Nikki Haley has to be waning at this point because she sets the bar so low that she can't help but clear it in the races she participates in. North uh, New Hampshire. Oh, we're going to go out there. We're going to do all we got to do is beat expectations. We there's no expectations. So you get one vote. Congratulations. Somebody writes my name in. I beat expectations in New Hampshire. But she's out there. Oh, we we got forty percent of the vote. Yeah, mostly Democrats. Congratulations. Not nothing, but it's mostly Democrats in a Republican primary. Let's not lose sight of that. And then she says we need. Do not win. She doesn't need to win her home state of South Carolina. All she needs to do is build on what she did in New Hampshire. Now, what the hell does build on what she did in New Hampshire mean? It doesn't mean anything. It means whatever she wants it to be. She didn't get a higher percentage of the vote in her home state than she did in New Hampshire. It was 39.5% in South Carolina, her home state, versus, what was it, 43 percent 
6% or something like that in New Hampshire. So the percentage went down, but you just ignore that. See, you control the unit of measure. You control everything. So she looks at that and says, well, that kind of sucks. People who know me best like me least on a percentage basis. So we'll just look at raw numbers. We got more vote. We're building on what we did in New Hampshire here in South Carolina because we got double the votes or whatever it was. Well, the, the population of the state is like triple that of New Hampshire. So it's almost impossible to get fewer numbers of votes. It's the percentage that counted before. No, 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 not percentage. And so then you go to Michigan or actually in Nevada, too. She didn't participate in Nevada. Why? Because she was going to lose in Nevada. It wasn't going to comport with her. As long as we're building on things, we're going to do better sort of crap. Like, oh, you're not going to do better. You're going to do a lot worse in Nevada. The people of Nevada are not interested in what you're selling. Well, we didn't participate. We didn't try in Nevada. Did Which came first there, the chicken or the egg? Did you not try because you knew you weren't going to win or did you not win because you didn't try? I have my suspicions, and I think it is pretty clear that she did not try because she knew she was not going to win. The same thing is true in Michigan. She bypasses it. Uh, it's like going through a baseball season or a football season. You go, all right, well, we should be able to beat the, the Carolina Panthers, so we're going to go to that game. But then we're going to have to play the San Francisco 49ers. We're not going to show up to the 49ers game. We're not going to do it. We'll sell tickets. We'll go through all the motions. And if we, you know, we're not, we're going to skip that one. But we're really looking forward to playing the Bears the week after that. Well, that's not how the season works. That's not how the game works. Well, it is in politics. Because you control the unit of measure. You control everything. So she didn't participate in Michigan. She will not participate in races where she will lose. It's a hell of a way to go. She's not participating in the, the caucus on Saturday. She didn't participate in the primary on Tuesday. She's just not going to do it. She's waiting around until Super Tuesday, she says. She's really looking forward to Super Tuesday. But probably not all the races in Super Tuesday. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's not uh, kid ourselves. There are going to be states in the Super Tuesday primary where... She's going to say, this one doesn't count. We didn't really try there. We didn't really go there. We didn't do this, that, and the other thing there. Because, again, it's all she has. I don't know. Like, this is a good lesson in not letting your ego control your, uh, your destiny. At a certain point, you're going to have to choke down some pride. You're just going to have to. That's the way the world works. Reality is not dependent upon your belief in it or your acceptance of it or your like of it. There are a lot of states voting on March 5th. Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Iowa, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, and Virginia. I wonder which one she's going to say she's not participating in. I wonder which ones are going to be her benchmark. I wonder if it, it doesn't matter. What she's really looking at is her bank account. And as long as there's money in the bank account that she can't put in her pocket, I think she's going to stick around. 
It's a vanity project at this point. She's, most times a candidate who doesn't accept reality, they have like one or two issues where they really want to draw attention to it. They're kind of a one-trick pony where they, I really care about this and I want to get the lead candidate who's going to be the eventual nominee. I want them to at least move toward me, pay lip service to me and this issue. But she doesn't have that. There's not, there's not really on a policy basis, there's not a dime's worth of difference between her and Donald Trump. There are around the edges, and yes, spare me the emails and whatnot, but there isn't really that big of a difference. It's not like one is open borders and the other is closed borders. Nikki Haley's, you know, ajar. She's more interested in being nice to the people who are here already, which I'm not, and Donald Trump claims not to be. But that's it. None of them are Joe Biden. Nobody's saying we need to raise taxes. We need to increase spending, although they both will. They just will. That's how politics works. So she's not trying to draw attention to whatever the issue of her you know, true passion is, which really only leaves that it. it's a massive vanity project. And you go, okay, then this is sad because pride goeth before the fall. You are going to really, really stub your toe, you're going to bang your knee, you're going to do all sorts of things that you're not going to enjoy. But that's the Republican side. It's a foregone conclusion that somebody simply won't accept. And it's sad and pathetic to watch somebody flail like this. But that brings us to the other side, ladies and gentlemen, the Michigan primary for Democrats. It was, of course, it was Joe Biden. But it was not the way that the Democrats would have preferred. Joe Biden did get 81% of the vote. Uncommitted got 13.3% of the vote. That's what 99% reporting. So the, the decimal may change a little bit, but in general, those are the numbers. It's, it's 80 to, to 13. Dean Phillips got 2.7%. Marianne Williamson, who dropped out, got 3%, which to, for Dean Phillips at this point, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's got nothing better to do, and it's the only time anybody's ever going to mention the name Dean Phillips, although it sounds like an actor from the 80s. You know, the star of the guy driving around in a pickup truck with a monkey, Dean Phillips. It's more of a 70s show, but whatever. You get it. Um, but what's really telling is the 13.3% non-committed. 101,054 Michiganders went to the polls and voted not Joe Biden. Now, this isn't because Joe Biden is old. This isn't because they're looking at inflation and they're going, my God, what hath Joe wrought? It is not because of, well, it's not because of any of his god-awful terrible policies. It's not because of his god-awful terrible rhetoric. It is expressly and exclusively for his not condemning Israel. At least not yet. That 101,000 votes, that might get him to condemn Israel. You see, Dearborn, Michigan is the highest concentration of Lebanese people outside of Lebanon. It truly is. I lived there for, I don't even know, 
five, six years, maybe before a little before college and well, a little before college and then in college and um, lots of great food, lots of weird families marching down the sidewalk with the women 10 paces behind them is a bit of a, a culture shock to it. The food and the, the uh, produce markets were great language barriers and i remember when israel pulled out of southern lebanon in 1999 or 2000 i thought that the red wings had won the stanley cup again i'm at home and i hear hooting and hollering and i was uh, one two blocks off of warren and schaefer big intersection there and so i go out and i'm like all right i'm gonna go i'll just drive around for a little bit i saw the news but i'm like what is people why are people celebrating i had no idea the the depths of the anti-semitism that I was in the midst of, because it does, I mean, in classes in college, downtown Detroit, in discussions in political science class, you'd get into the Middle East discussion, and you would see, I was always pro-Israel, I was always pro-Israel, and just, you know, not a big fan of terrorists, and uh, I could maybe go, oh, you know, it'd be good if you guys had your own country, but you kind of got to stop blowing people up first, right? That's a, that would be the, the precursor to it, if you want, you want your own country we can probably work that out if you just stop killing people like no i can't we're going to kill our way to a country like that's not going to work but you'd have these discussions about middle east policy world history and whatever and uh, some people always lefties various ethnicities a lot of times the uh, the white kids the white liberals would get more upset than the arabic kids in the class but they would get emotional they would and you're just like i mean i can't can't really talk to somebody who's screaming at the top of their lungs like it was yesterday this happened to them personally when it was like four generations ago, okay? You didn't experience it at all. This is just general. Hate seems to grow exponentially over time when it's passed down, more so than when it's done to the people. I don't know that the people who were who felt wronged themselves directly carry the kind of passion and fervor in their hatred that they passed out of their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren because stories always expand. There's no story. There's nobody who tells a fish story where the fish gets smaller over time. I caught a giant four-foot pike. It was the most, uh, you know what, I caught a minnow. It doesn't happen that way. It's always in the other direction. And so the more grandiose the story becomes the more the outrage grows. And that's uh, that's common. And it's it was evidenced in my classes where people were like, this was this was not you, or that did not happen, or what it, you couldn't talk sense to them. They knew because they felt it. And so that is what Joe Biden was dealing with, and since he has yet to condemn Israel, it might be the closest thing to a principle that Joe Biden has, his as of yet, and I say as of yet because I think he will, these results, uh, he'll find a way to try and, and thread that needle. But it might be the closest thing to a principle. His only accomplishment in the United States Senate after 36 years or whatever the hell it was, was passing the crime bill. And the second that became wildly unpopular amongst Democrats because they decided to embrace criminals, he said, yeah, no, I'm sorry I passed the crime bill. You're sorry you passed the crime bill? Your last Senate re-election campaign, you touted how many lives you saved 
with a crime bill. And now you're going, ah, sorry about that, because it put too many people in prison. Not a bunch of innocent people. They weren't arresting people randomly off the street. It was a whole bunch of criminals that were put into prison. And Joe had to apologize for it. So Israel might be the only thing left. On abortion, he was a devout Catholic and a Democrat. So he had to kind of go, I don't think the government should be involved in that. But personally, I think that... uh, I think that abortion is wrong and blah, blah, blah. And now that's that's a hate crime in the Democratic Party. So I believe on the weekends he operates an abortion clinic in Rehoboth Beach out of his garage where he used to store classified documents. I could be wrong about that, but only in the reality, not in the mentality. So that 101,067 people who voted uncommitted scare the hell out of the Democratic Party. Scare the hell. Uh, I don't know if you can scare the hell out of Joe Biden, per se. He'd have to be cognizant of it. But in his lucid moments, it's at least worrisome. So while all the media is paying attention to Dearborn, and they all have dispatched, I'm sure they're gone home by now, but they all dispatch their reporters to go and shove microphones in the faces of Arabic-looking people outside of the Kroger's there. It always seems to be the outside a grocery store. They got Kroger's all over the place. And they go, oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about Joe Biden? What do you think? And they all go the same thing. I'm not really sure. And then it's the whole, they either talk to Arabic looking people in, in Dearborn or white kids with far too many piercings in Ann Arbor. <laughs> That's it. They're missing Hamtramck. Dearborn, of course, is, is problematic for Joe Biden. CNN reported the election results just from Dearborn uh, Dearborn there. And, um, well, they were a bit disturbing for the Democrats, especially the Democrats who work for CNN. Listen to, it's John King reporting. This is what Joe Biden received. Again, forgive me, 1,141 votes. Dean Phillips... 54 votes, an uncommitted, make sure I get this right, 3,703 votes. So that's a wow. If you look at it this way, this is 23%, and this is 75%. Um, And so this is just the city of Dearborn, but that is where the biggest pocket of the Muslim American, the Arab American population. This is a place President Biden carried big time in 2020. This is key to his chances of defeating Donald Trump in Michigan again. Three to one, the people of Dearborn saying, I'm not sure. Now, it's, they're not going to go for, if they're not going for Joe Biden because he refuses to condemn Israel and authorize the bombing of Israel into oblivion, they're not going to go for Donald Trump. They're just not. What you can hope for, the best you can hope for as conservatives is they just don't vote. Maybe they vote third party. Cornell West is out there going, wait a second, I hate Jews. If I can get on the ballot, and that may work. It might be a a protest vote. A lot of those people, look, a lot of the people in the uh, uncommitted pile will come back home 
this was a virtue signaling vote. It's not legally binding. It means nothing for the people throughout the rest of the state, for the liberals out there who are like, man, I wish Joe Biden would condemn Israel. Those people will likely come home. It's not personal to them. They're not about to go and set themselves on fire over this. It is just a painless way and a foregone conclusion. This is the chance to put, you know, the kid you just pulled up as the September roster expanded. The third string shortstop, you kind of, you can expand your roster. And, you know, all right, give me this kid. He's a prospect down the road. We'll see what he, maybe he can handle. And he just hasn't gotten into a game. And now it's 17 to 3. You're down. The game is over and there's no pennant on the race. You're, you're, and you just go, all right, you know, it's the eighth inning. Go ahead, kid. Get out there. Show us what you got. It's that kind of stakes. Actually, those are higher stakes because if that kid gets hit, he might get another shot. Um, Most of these people will go home, will turn home, will return home to Joe Biden because the alternative they're scared to death of. They hate Donald Trump. They don't like what Joe Biden is doing. They hate Donald Trump. They believe that Donald Trump will nuke Gaza or whatever the hell they're thinking. They just, they don't care. He's going to bomb Iran. Oh, no, God forbid we take out a terrorist regime, but that's beside the point. What they're missing is it's not just Dearborn, though. It's just not just Dearborn. They don't pay attention to the rest of it. They don't know the state. They're not from there. If you look at the... There's more disturbing things for Joe Biden because the only people, the two groups of people that stand a chance of not voting for Joe Biden in the fall are the committed people who bought into the identity politics in Dearborn and Hamtramck. But it's also the intelligentsia, the leftists, the really truly committed leftists who would go and set themselves on fire. And that is exemplified by the University of Michigan. If you've ever been to Ann Arbor, Michigan, it is, I don't know, it's a nice little city surrounded by reality. It is a bizarre place. And if you look at the numbers from Washtenaw County, where Ann Arbor, where the University of Michigan is situated, Joe Biden only got 77% of the vote. Uncommitted got 17.3% of the vote. Now, like I say, a lot of that 17.3% of the vote will come back home for Democrats. This was their chance to virtue signal and protest, but a good chunk of it won't. Because these are the people who hate Republicans, but hate more. And there's a weird segment of the population, especially on the left in progressive politics, that Somebody they disagree with on everything they hate, don't get me wrong, but they hate less than somebody they agree with on 95% of the things or 99% of the things and they just disagree on one thing. It's somehow more personal when it's when the differences are, are less and they absolutely despise that person. And so Joe will have difficulty getting those people back. Those people are concentrated in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So losing 17% of the vote there, even if he gets half of that back, is going to be damaging to Joe Biden in a state that is purple. 
It's purple. It leans blue, but it is purple. So you add in Wayne County, where Detroit is, where Dearborn is, where Hamtramck is. He lost 16.8% of it. Now, there are three counties in Michigan that basically control the state. It's Wayne, Oakland, and Macomb County. In Macomb and uh, Oakland County, he he lost 12.8% of the vote. And in Macomb County, it was 13.2% of the vote. Dear, it's Detroit. It's Wayne County where he has to make up the difference. Wayne or Oakland, Macomb, it's virtue signaling as well. And it's, you know, Macomb County is the home of the the Reagan Democrats. It's, he's going to lose those counties anyway. But he can't afford to lose where the voters are. 16, 15, 10% of his party's vote. The population is in those three counties. The population is really in Wayne County, the Detroit area, and the immediate surrounding areas. And people forget about Hamtramck. Hamtramck is very important. Here's a story from, uh, let's see, November 2023. It is from, what is it? The Arab American News. See, you probably didn't know that news has ethnicity. The Hamtramck City Council will remain the only all-Muslim council in the U.S. after a community arts worker, Lynn Blasey, came in fourth place in a six-person race for three council seats. Mayor Pro Tem Mohammed Hassan, one of the three incumbent city councilmen running for re-election, was the top vote-getter among the candidates according to the results from the clerk. Hamtramck entered American history in 2022 as the first American city whose city council members were entirely Muslim. And you look at it, now they're not record-setting votes. You're looking at 1,600 votes, 1,300 votes, and almost 1,300 votes for the the three top vote-getters. Their names are irrelevant, and honestly, I don't know that I could pronounce them anyway. But that tells you something about this area, too. It is overlooked. It makes it harder. It is another enclave. It's not as though people from Dearborn said, to hell with it, I'm out of here. And they decided to go and take over the Polish neighborhood of Hamtramck. It is more people coming in. These are additional voters. And Joe Biden is losing them, too. This is nice in a lot of ways, none greater than... I like seeing Frankenstein's monster come back and burn the castle. I really enjoy that. The I love it when the like if Joe Biden's dog who's bitten like twenty five Secret Service agents, if Joe Biden's dog took off one of his fingers, maybe that's a little bit harsh, but bit him, nipped him the way that he's been nipping. It's sign of a bad dog owner. I think if you get that many people bitten by it, you're not really. there's something wrong with you. You're not training your dog. You're not teaching your dog. You're not spending enough time with your dog, whatever. Beside the point, he doesn't seem to care. The dog's still around biting the hell out of everybody. But I bet he'd care if it bit him. I bet he'd care if it bit him. So I wouldn't mind seeing that. It's kind of his own monster. Oh, other people are getting bit. So what? So what? So what? Now suddenly he gets bit and it's, oh, we've got to do something. Maybe we need to get the dog some training. Yeah. Now, 
Now maybe you need to get the dog some training. So a lot of these will come home, but Michigan is really in play. Not necessarily, I mean, the auto industry is still a major factor there, but it's not as much as it used to be. Donald Trump will win the blue-collar vote. I tell you, as somebody who spent a lot of time in the blue-collar areas of Michigan, particularly rural northern Michigan, he's going to win those areas. Donald Trump will. Those areas are always overwhelmed by the Metro Detroit vote. And if 10% of that vote stays home or just skips the top of the ticket, it's going to be very problematic for good old Joe come Michigan. If he wins Michigan, if he wins Georgia, and if Trump wins Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona, a couple of those states, it's over. It's over. Now, uh, my column in The Hill today is entitled How This Is Trump's Race to Lose or Trump's Race to Win, and here's how he can blow it. And one of the ways he could blow it is something he's been talking about. Now, I hope this is just hubris. With Donald Trump, you never know. But you can kind of assume it's hubris. But I, he's talking about a 50-state campaign. If you know anything about a 50-state campaign, it was made famous in 2020 in 2004, I guess, by Howard Dean. He was going to run in every single state in the union. He really believed his internal polls. He believed MSNBC's coverage was reality. He knew that George W. Bush was wildly unpopular, and therefore he wanted a blowout, a mandate. The problem was he didn't win a single state, I don't think, when it came to the Democratic primary. By then, the wheels had come off, the scream had happened, and it was all over. But that's beside the point. He was already running campaign ads in states that were not going to vote in the Democratic primary until long after the Democratic primary had been settled, right? Everybody would have been out of the field. He's like, you know, two months down the road, this state's going to vote in a Democratic primary, and Howard Dean's campaign had so much money for a while, they were running commercials there that were more geared toward a general election than a Democratic primary. You know, the old joke, you want to make God laugh, make a plan. So it didn't work out for him, but it was stupid and because he blew through so much money spiking the football on the five-yard line, assuming he was going to win because he was ahead in the polls early, that when things went sideways in Iowa and he came in second or third or whatever, and he was going to go to New Hampshire and try and recover, I think, there, it just he never could get his bearings back. And he didn't have the money to try to do it because he'd blown it all in states where it wasn't going to matter. If Donald Trump follows through, and I don't know that I have to believe him on this, but he follows through on this 50-state thing. He's talking about holding events in Madison Square Garden, holding a rally in Madison Square Garden, holding a uh, rally in Los Angeles. There's no doubt that there are Republicans in New York the New York, New Jersey area, who are frustrated with their political leadership and that people who would be open to possibly whatever. They'd, there'd be a lot of people who would love to attend a Trump rally, but you live in Manhattan. Why would you waste time? The only reason to spend money doing any of those things is vanity. It doesn't matter. It's not Ronald Reagan 1984. It is... 
2024. Tribalism, partisanship is deeper and more ingrained and embedded in people. So you could probably fill up Madison Square Garden. Hell, you know, Billy Joel sold it out like 100 times or whatever. It doesn't matter if you're going to lose the general election. You're not going to win New Jersey. An argument could be made you'd stand a chance of winning New Jersey, certainly more than winning in New York. But if you don't spend your money wisely, especially at a time when the Democrats are bleeding the Trump campaign dry through lawfare, you can end up stepping on a series of rakes and stumbling your way to defeat. You don't want to be Thomas E. Dewey. It was his race to lose, and he lost it. You can run a bad campaign, and even in a year where everything is in your favor, you can ruin it. You can screw it up. So I hope to God that Donald Trump looks at California and goes, no, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to fundraise. There are enough Republicans out there, about 30% of the population. You can raise money in there. Maybe you do a quick event with some local candidates, but you don't run one single campaign commercial in there. It's an expensive state. It's an expensive market. Same with the Manhattan market. You don't waste time paying to rent out the Hollywood Bowl or the Greek or, you know, what do you call it? Madison Square. You don't do those sorts of things. Right now, I'm not saying it's way early. It's still eight months away. But right now, the only thing in Donald Trump's way is Donald Trump. If he can stay out of his own way and keep letting the Democrats infight over things that Joe Biden stands to lose votes for. See, on the Israeli issue, if he comes out too harsh against Israel, or if he really comes out harsh against Netanyahu, he runs serious risk of losing the Jewish vote. Now, the Jewish vote is smaller than the Arabic, the Muslim vote, but it's not insignificant. It will play differently. Plus, there'll be a whole bunch of people who just, the longer it takes Joe, and this is what's great, the longer it takes Joe to come out and say, all right, we need to stop this, the less believable it will be, the more it will be seen as opportunistic. Right now, he can't come out and change his tune because it's in the immediate aftermath of losing 13% of the vote. So he's got to wait a little bit while longer to get some distance so it doesn't seem so opportunistic, which then will solidify the anger that he took so long to do it in the first place. He's kind of screwed himself. I absolutely love it. I just hope that the Republicans can not punch themselves in the face trying to take advantage of it. And when it comes to Republicans, one thing they excel at is punching themselves in the face. So as the uh, president of the United States is reeling from his, his win, I mean, I, I guess if you kind of go, I won at least, a W is a W. My dad always taught me that you know it doesn't matter if you win by one or one million. A win is a win. Obviously, you want a bigger cushion than than that, but you also don't want to labor the point. You don't certainly want to dwell on the the negative. But Democrats have to dwell on it. And I enjoy schadenfreude when it comes to Democratic misery, so I enjoyed talking about it. But there are other things going on. For example, Thursday, Joe Biden will make his way down to the southern border for the second time in his 50-year political career. It's amazing. Now, this guy is such a BSer 
that when he first inspired the border crisis and everybody was noticing it and the reporters were reporting on it for a while, it comes and goes. It never stops. The border has never stopped being an issue. The flood has never really stopped. It has ebbed and flowed. It is, you know, sometimes it's 100,000 in a month. Sometimes it's 300,000 in a month. But it's never none. <laughs> it's never none. So the media has done their best to ignore it, but now with the uh, wave of illegal alien crime, they can't completely ignore it, so they're reluctantly reporting on it. And Joe said before, he's like, are you going to go to the border? Well, I've been there before many times, and blah, blah, blah. And so people, actual reporters, nobody from CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, or CBS bothered to look into it, but actual reporters looked into when Joe Biden was in there. They asked, they did crazy things like asking the staff for the president of the United States. When was it that the president of the United States was down at the southern border? And they said, well, we're going to have to get back to you on there. And they said, well, he once went to, uh, he once spent some time in, in Nevada. Yeah, in Vegas. No, but I mean, he looked at the, the approach of his flight. If he looked out the... Uh, the left-hand side of the plane, he could have seen parts of Mexico off in the distance. So that's the same thing as a border visit. They turned out that he'd never been to the southern border. He still lies about having gone to the southern border, and no reporter is going and asking, you know, why are you lying? Why did you lie about it? But whatever. That's to be expected. It's just worth pointing out because these people are, have I mentioned lately? I'm not sure I've mentioned it lately. They're horrible people, you know. And I mean that sincerely, you know. <laughs> But he's going down there because Donald Trump is going down there as well on Thursday. And Republicans are winning on this issue. Oh, the White House thought they had a winner. They've got a deal. We've got a deal on the southern border. It'll bring about border security and billions for Ukraine. And somebody did that evil thing that they just despise in Washington, D.C. They actually looked at the bill. They looked at the legislation. And they discovered that it didn't actually have anything to do with anything. It didn't really secure the southern border at all. It allowed 5,000 illegals or 4,999 illegal aliens to cross the border every single day and be released into the country before the president was uh, able or required, required being in quotes, to do anything about like shutting down the border. And oh, by the way, it didn't count people from certain countries. It only really counted people from Mexico. So it didn't count anything from non-contiguous countries. You go, wait, what is, we're getting a flood of, you know, 30,000 illegal Chinese aliens a, a day coming across the southern border in California. And those wouldn't count? Yeah, no, they wouldn't. What is it I always say? I said earlier, oh, yeah, you control the unit of measure, you control everything. See, a normal human being would see 5,000 and think, well, that means 5,000. It doesn't mean 5,000. It doesn't count children. Why? Because why not? Because Democrats' priority is to make sure as many people as possible get in. So they say 5,000, but it's a very specific 5,000. They control the unit of measure in this bill. Senator James Lankford is a moron for having agreed to this. Uh, maybe he trusted staff. Maybe he's stupid on his own. It's not to say he's a bad man. But when you have these sorts of things come out and you cannot articulate a reason as to why or how this happened and you're still defending it, 
I mean, I guess you kind of have to defend it because otherwise the alternative is to go, wow, I'm stupid. I really didn't pay attention to this thing that I said was wildly important. I had staff do it and they got ruled by Democrats or I employ a bunch of morons who are not principled conservatives, whatever the case is. The American public had had enough. If you notice, Republicans did not suffer from the failure, as the Democrats put it, to pass that bill, right? It's DOA in the House, as they say, and there's really no pressure. Joe's trying to put pressure on the House to pass it, but there's no pressure there because the American public got the message. Democrats call it misinformation. It's misinformation that show me on the bill where it is that I'm wrong. And they can't, they won't. They just declare it to be misinformation. Then when you question them on it, they say, you're giving Vladimir Putin a victory. Why? Because I'm not giving Vladimir Zelensky $60 billion? Honestly, given the choice between securing our southern border and getting rid of the 10 to 12 million illegal aliens in this country many of whom are wreaking havoc and crime sprees across this country, and I don't really care. The majority of, oh, what, so what? So 10 million people here, if 6 million of them aren't committing felonies on a regular basis, you're cool with 4 million of them doing it? I'm not cool with any of them doing it. What is it we hear with guns? If it saves one life, if it saves one life, we must restrict everybody else's rights if it can save just one. Just one life. Just one. But when it comes to illegal aliens coming across the border and Americans being murdered by them, Americans being shot at by them, Americans being beaten by them, Americans being robbed by them, being scammed by them, whatever, eh, you don't let one or a couple of dozen or a few thousand bad apples spoil the bushel, do you? I mean, come on. Be compassionate. What about the others? Which others? You're talking about the 75-year-old lady who's never going to contribute anything to society, who's going to live the rest of her life on the public dole, who will literally contribute nothing? Or are you talking about the 21-year-old with the gang tattoos all over his neck, who's also probably not... I'm not saying that guy won't have money. I'm saying that guy won't have a job where his FICA is, uh, taxes are withheld, right? He's probably not going to file a 1040EZ form in his lifetime. His tattoo guy is going to see more of his income uh, than the federal government will. So again, not exactly the biggest contributing factor to society, that you could manifest yourself in your head, right? Oh, I know I'm oversimplifying it, but I also don't care because that it's true at all is the problem. It's not the degree to which it's true. I'm not out here to separate the wheat from the chaff. I'm saying that none of them are here legally. And that's the problem. What they've done, some of them, many of them have done since coming here illegally is more of an argument to keep people out, to vet them, to make them come through the door with actual documentation so we know who the hell they are than it is anything else. But that is not to say we only 
deport criminal aliens because the fact that they're illegal aliens makes them criminal. Right? I'm old school. I'm I'm medieval on this one. Because you watch a situation. It's not just Lake and Riley. It is the countless other people who have been victimized by illegal alien crime. It's common. The Democrats refuse to allow the collection of the data, so we don't have full data on it. All we have is anecdotes. And what they will do is say, well, you only have really anecdotal evidence. Okay, get on the phone with Lake and Riley's parents and tell them that you're not, you're sorry that their daughter was murdered by an illegal alien who butchered her skull to the point that she was disfigured. Go ahead, tell her that, don't let that experience ruin your experience or your thoughts or influence your thoughts on illegal aliens entering this country because not all of them are going to murder someone's daughters, right? It's sick. It's perverse. It's progressive. really is just beyond sad. There's a guy, Nilsson Noel Trejo Granandos, Again, we guess his immigration status as uh, unlawfully present 27 year old. This is from Fox 5 in D.C. Unlawfully present 25 year old Salvadoran national. It's a lot of words to just say illegal alien. On November 7, 2022, a Department of Justice immigration judge in Newark, New Jersey, ordered Treo Grandos remove his removal from the United States. But guess what? He wasn't removed from the United States. He wasn't removed from the United States because they don't cooperate with ICE. And now this story from Prince George's County right here in Maryland involving the same sweet, sweet, nourishing illegal alien who should have been booted out, of, never should have been in the country in the first place, but is booted out of the country, should have been booted out in 2022. A fifth suspect has been arrested in connection with the murder of two-year-old Jeremy Pucarceras. I don't know how you pronounced that uh, last name, C-A-C-E-R-E-S. The Prince George's County Police Department announced Monday they're now charging 25-year-old Nilsson Treo Grandos with first- and second-degree murder. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement and Removal Operations Baltimore spokesman James Covington confirmed with Fox 5 that Treo Grandos is unlawfully an unlawfully present Salvadoran national. God, they just can't bring themselves to be completely honest. On November 7th, blah, 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 according to ICE records, the Montgomery County Police Department arrested Treo Grandos on March 21st, 2023, and charged him with theft. While those charges remained pending, ICE lodged an immigration detainer on Treo Grandos with the Montgomery County Detention Center on March 22nd, 2023. However, the agency says the Montgomery County Detention Center refused to honor the detainer and Treo Grandos was released on March 27, 2023. Yes, all of you liberals down there in Montgomery County, not just the elected ones, but the ones who elected them, 
Step right up and dip your hands in the blood and smear it all over your face. It's on your hands, it's on your face, it's all over your body. This is on you. You had him, and you let him go. You let him go because Trump. How many Americans are you going to be directly responsible for the deaths of because Trump? You're going to show him, oh, we'll show them. We're not going to be xenophobic like them. All right. Then explain to the family of the two-year-old that you really stuck it to those Republicans. Okay, see if that see if that comforts their grief. Right? Go go sit in a room with them, sit down with the grieving parents, all the family members crying, and tell them how you stuck it to those damned Republicans. All right, go ahead. You won't do it. You won't talk about it. You won't even acknowledge it. But make no mistake, that blood is all over. It's to the marrow of your bones. It's not just on your hands. It's in your hands. Every single drop of it from all of these people. <sighs> they would not honor it. They released him from custody. Again, a couple of times they had him. ICE lodged an immigration detainer on him on September 27th, 2023. They released him anyway on October 12th. They would not honor it. The day after his most recent arrest was announced, uh, Baltimore, the ICE Baltimore lodged an immigration detainer against Treos Grandos at the Prince George's County Detention Center in Upper Marlboro. So far, the Prince George's County Police Department Homicide Unit has arrested and charged a 15-year-old from Tacoma Park, a 16-year-old from Hyattsville, and two other men they believe drove a stolen vehicle from the crime scene and opened fire. All are being charged as adults and held without bond. wonder what their immigration status is, because I don't think there are too many Americans able to bridge a language barrier. Most, most criminal Americans, they're not exactly fluent in English. So Spanish is probably a bridge too far. I suspect this might be, dare I say, MS-13 gang-related. It is El Salvador, after all. Back on February 8th, Jeremy and his mother were walking alone in Langley Park when shots were fired between two groups. Both the toddler and his mother were caught in the middle of the crossfire, which detectives say was not meant for them. Jeremy was taken to Children's National, where he was pronounced dead. Officials said his mom suffered non-life-threatening injuries. Prince George's police still asking the community to reach out to them with any information related to this case. Montgomery County, Maryland, one of the wealthiest areas in the country, one of the wealthiest counties in the country, Bethesda, Potomac, you'll see some really nice houses there. You will not see an illegal alien anywhere near there. They'll call the private security company they have patrolling their gated community or the police to come in and take care of anybody who, you know, if they're not actively in the process of cutting a lawn, looks a little too dark for these white Chardonnay suburban liberal women for their comfort level. But those women, those people... They all have the blood on their hands. This is but one example. There are dozens. I could go through them all. I could turn this show into an illegal alien crime blotter. They don't care. It doesn't matter. And they're not going to care. 
Nobody from Montgomery County is going to be asked about this. Hey, what? You got the blood on your hands. The family should sue Montgomery County. This guy would not have been here to commit this murder. The guy down in Georgia would not have been there to kill Lincoln Riley had the Biden administration enforced our border laws, had the Biden administration insisted and pressured local leftists to cooperate with ICE. Instead, they celebrate these places. They're wonderful places of diversity. It's disgusting. The blood, like I say, is is deeper than their hands. It's on their souls. So since we're talking and we're talking about the illegal alien crisis, I want to play for you and Joe going to the border. I want to play for you a clip from January 22nd. January 22nd. Not that long ago, the historic, God, she's so historic, Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked what it will take to get Joe Biden to the border. And her answer, you can see why he has to go down to the border, because her answer was terrible. <laughs> her answer is, well, um, there was no plans to go to the border then. See, there, there was nothing they needed distraction from. The Michigan primary they didn't realize that Rashida Tlaib at this point was going to make a full push for uncommitted and that so many other Democrats would go along with it. They don't didn't know they needed the distraction for it. They didn't know about the murder of Lake and Riley. They, they had like, oh, man, we had to scramble and show, pretend, make people believe that they cared. So they scrambled this together last minute, but just a little more than a month ago, they had no plans to go and no real concern about going. In December 2023, there were 300,000 migrant encounters, which is the highest month ever on record. So how bad does the border crisis have to be for Biden to take a trip back? So just to reiterate what I just said seconds ago, the president has been to the border. He's visited the border. He saw for himself. He spoke to law enforcement. He saw exactly what goes on at the border. The president understands what's going on at the border, which is why he included in his national uh, security supplemental, right, which is, again, a request that is when, when you feel like there's an emergency, you make that supplemental request, which is what the president did. It included border security, included, uh, obviously, Ukraine and Israel. And it is incredibly important, which is why he continues to push for it. And you're seeing those conversations happening in the Senate in a bipartisan way, a bipartisan agreement. And the president's very thankful to that. And so I'm going to leave that there. He's taking this very seriously. Remember, day one, day one, he put forward an immigration, uh, comprehensive immigration legislation. He's just totally for serious. He has no reason to go down to the border. There's no reason. He is, uh, he wants Mass amnesty and citizenship. And, and on day one, he put together a comprehensive immigration reform. Yeah, and on day one, he also ended Remain in Mexico. On day, on, on day 14, by day 14, he had signed 92 to 94, depending on who you hear it from, executive orders weakening the border, right? Weakening our border. He'd done that. Undoing what Trump did. What What is this undo? I don't care. Who did it? Trump did it? Well, let's undo it. Is it effective or not? Was never asked. It was like, who did it? Donald Trump did it? We're going to undo it. And then they're going, oh my goodness, look at this mess. Look at this horrible mess. Congress must act. Please pass the Stop Me Before I Kill Again Act. Stop me before I kill again. 
But you're not in, you're not enforcing the law, Mr. President. I know. I must be stuck. You'd give me laws to enforce, and I'll enforce. You got laws to enforce. You're not enforcing. Yeah, but you give me new laws that I like. I don't like these laws, so I'm not going to be enforcing these laws. Pretty sure that's not how laws work, Mr. President. You, you just shut up. Racist or whatever it is. You istophobe. You're a total istophobe. Why? Because I believe in protecting our nation's sovereignty? Yes. I mean, Corinne Jean-Pierre, there's no reason to go down there. Republicans, this is a bipartisan bill. And that's really Lankford's folly. The second you sign off on this with clearly, well, I don't know, I guess I can't say clearly, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt, without understanding what in the hell it truly is, the second you give Democrats all the ammunition they need. You get one Democrat or one Republican, this is bipartisan. This is bipartisan. It's weird that rule never applies to when it's something that Democrats don't like. Republicans, with the help of a couple of Democrats, they might mention, are trying to force through this or have passed this, the president has promised to veto it. There's plenty of things that pass the House of Representatives that get two or three Democrat votes. It's not billed as massively bipartisan because the media is corrupt and Republicans are horrible at messaging. But the president will threaten to veto it. And they'll go, eh, not interested. The only thing the only things the president bothers to threaten to veto are things that have bipartisan support. Because those are the only things that have a chance of passing Congress, right? In a divided Congress. So the president is threatening to veto. The president will not concur. All you really need is one member of the other party to sign on to your nonsense bill and therefore the president is obligated to sign it? No, 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 no. But Democrats will argue that your your member of Congress is then obligated to vote for it if they manage to get one Republican on it. It's much easier to get one Republican than it is one Democrat because, you know, Republicans disagree. They hold different opinions. There is actually diversity of thought, whereas diversity to the left is meaning different colored, like-minded drones. They have a hive mind. It doesn't matter what package it happens to be stuck in or how vapid that package is. It's enough to make you crazy, isn't it? So we just heard uh, the historic Jean-Pierre about six weeks ago. There's no reason to go to the border. Border, what border? What border? Somebody taking, what are you talking about a border? Somebody taking a lunch order and going to Taco Bell? Making a run to the border? Well, now Joe Biden is going to the border because they're desperate to distract from what happened in Michigan with the uncommitted vote. As they brainstorm, how do we get harsher on Israel with, uh, and win back without seeing, seeming horribly, horribly opportunistic? They can't do it right now. They got to wait a little while. So they said, I know what we'll do. We'll pretend to care about the border. That'll be awesome. It'll be wonderful. It'll be the perfect crime. So they're sending Joe down there. It's unclear whether or not he'll get within a country mile of the border, whether or not he'll meet with any illegal aliens, whether or not he'll meet with Border Patrol. Border Patrol has been pretty unambiguous in the, the Border Patrol Union with their disgust with the president, calling him out for his lies. So... He's not going to be in a hurry. The If he meets with any Border Patrol agent, 
they will be the most heavily vetted human being on the face of the earth in that day. They will have done everything to make sure that this person is not going to do or say anything to embarrass the president of the United States by doing something evil and underhanded like, I don't know, tell the truth about the situation down there on the border. Can't do that. But the historic Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked yesterday about this trip to the border. And normally, non-photo-opt trips like this, they have a purpose, right? They have a purpose. It's to announce a new initiative. It's to sign an executive order. It's to make some sort of declaration or to get behind a new piece of legislation. Whatever it is, I'm down here. I see the problem. I have witnessed it firsthand. And now here's what I'm going to do about it. Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked about this. And there is nothing, literally nothing, that uh, Grandpa Badfinger is going to do about the border. There's nothing he's going to announce about it. They're just going down there for the visuals. They're just going down there for the visuals. Is there anything new that you can share about the president's visit to the border on Thursday? Does he have any plans to announce any executive actions? So I don't have anything to, I'm not going to get ahead of the president, don't have anything to, to uh, announce at this time. We've, sp- we've spoken to executive actions. I've spoken to that many times. Uh, we think the bottom line is the way to have dealt with this uh, border, the challenge that we see at the border, what we see with this immigration, a broken immigration system that has been broken for decades, is if we, if Republicans have moved forward uh, with um, uh, with the bipartisan deal that came out of the Senate. But instead of doing that, Donald Trump, they listened to Donald Trump, the former president, and they made it about politics. They did not make it about an issue that majority of Americans care about. Yeah, don't you love it? They're not going to be doing anything. She, she is terrible. She's reading this. It's probably in bullet form, bullet point form, because you think she can't be that damn stupid that, you know, the five millionth day in a row where she's going to be asked about this or where it's a possibility. Uh, she doesn't need it spelled out for her, but you'd be wrong. And she wears this shiny metallic, depending on the day, sometimes it's gold, sometimes it's silver, eyeshadow, which only highlights the fact that this dumbass is looking down trying to read. And go, and we, we've said, we've reiterated before. Yeah, you've said it about 3,000 times and you haven't committed it to memory at all. We've said it before that um, this, that, and the other thing. It's just like, you're, it's unbelievable. If somebody wrote a character for a piece of fiction that was like Karin Jean-Pierre and just as historic, but actually you know, comported herself in a way that she comports herself, they would be run out of Hollywood. It would never be produced, but they would be run out of Hollywood as a horrible racist, unless, of course, they made the character a Republican. Then there would be like Oscar nominations coming for it. You just sit there and you listen to these Democrats talk and you go, how do you? You're going to the border for for nothing. You're going to the border for no reason other than you need to be seen as going to the border. You couldn't come up with some. We're going to name uh, this part of the border or this border after somebody, some civil rights. That's what they normally do. Maybe they, they're so bad on the border for so long that they have named every legal port of entry after some leftist or maybe there are leftist families or like we want to we want to announce the naming of this uh 
migrant check-in center in honor of your grandfather and all his work. Like, nah, we're good. We don't want it. Maybe that's possible. They don't have anything to go down there. It's amazing. He's been to the border. He didn't go near the border, though. Is he going to actually go to the border? Is he going to actually see firsthand with his own squinty little scrunchy eyes what his policies hath wrought? No, couldn't do that. Not going to do that. That's an awful lot like work. That ain't how things flow around here. No, 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 no. We're going to go down there. We're talk to heavily vetted, maybe government workers. We're going to talk to some NGOs that are put, these non-governmental organizations that get billions of your tax dollars who then in secret and outside the reach and scope of government and the oversight of Congress administer these illegal aliens' paperwork. They help them. They aid them. They're aiding them all the way down, starting in El Salvador. Hey, here's how you get to the United States to coach them. Here's what you say. You seek out a border patrol agent and then you tell them these magic words. I fear for my life. I'm seeking asylum and you will get in. And here's how you get free health care. And here's how you get a debit card with $10,000 on it. And here's how you do this, that, and the other thing. And when's the last time the government sent you a debit card with $10,000 on it? Ever? Never? Probably never, I would guess. You watch this crap unfold and you go, we're funding all of this. We're funding all of this. The organizations, the left-wing organizations that are heavily funded, well-funded, they've got a ton of money. It comes from us. It comes from George Soros too. And people like him that are providing the legal counsel to these illegal aliens. It's being funded by us. It's not some fresh out of law school kid who really unsure of himself, his first big case. No, these are the good people. These are people making a ton of, these are the people you have to pay. These are, they do like one or two pro bono cases a year. They never shut up about it, but they live in a mansion and drive like a Maybach and things like that. And you're like, huh, how is it that these illegal aliens can afford people like this? Well, it's because our government, gives organizations, much charitable, in quotes, organizations money that then uses that money against the interests and laws of the United States of America, not the interests of the Democratic Party, which is why they get the money. And Republicans are so damned stupid. My former boss, Grover Norquist, used to talk all the time about how Republicans actually fund their opposition. They fund their opposition. Hundreds of millions and billions of dollars going to NGOs, going to universities in the forms of grants, research grants. The Republican Party funds this. The climate change industrial complex that exists out there is funded by government largely. Any sort of data that comes back and says, you know, this it's not really happening. What you're saying isn't true. Is buried. Why? Because people are terrified. They recognize that if they were to publish a paper, peer-reviewed or not, no matter how fact-based it was, no matter how irrefutable the evidence was, if they were to publish a paper calling, pointing out 
this myth, this lie, the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on humanity, they would be ruined professionally and personally. Their social lives would end. That played it last week, I think it was, that professor, that economics professor from Harvard who went looking for racial bias in police-involved shootings. They wanted to find it. They knew it was there. They understood it was there because they exist in the United States of America. They work in academia. And in that world, it is, well, it's obvious. It's not a matter for debate. It's a matter of fact. And he looked and he didn't find it. He found no racial disparities whatsoever. And so what did he do? He didn't publish it. He said, that's a head scratcher. So he got all new research assistants, a whole new staff, and ran the, the study again. And he got the same results, verifying his findings. And so when he went to publish it, a whole bunch of his peers said, you, uh, I don't dispute your findings, but you don't want to publish this. Why not? It's tr You just admitted it's true. No, 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 it's true. But it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to whom? It's inconvenient to the left, to the progressive power establishment in this country. And the professor, to his great credit, said that's ridiculous. Well, to his credit, he did it anyway. To his naivete, he said that's ridiculous. The truth will be welcomed. And, you know, you just don't understand the modern progressive movement if you believe for a second that provable truth will be welcomed. They don't operate in that way. And so he was threatened, this professor, when he published it. He was threatened. He was ostracized from his peers at work and had to be under police protection for a month and a half as the death threats rolled in from people who were upset that what he'd found in his data, not a one of them to this day, year, a couple years later, but not a one of them refuted the data, disproved the data. They disapproved of the data. They couldn't disprove it. They disapproved of it. They refused it. They couldn't refute it. I sound like Jesse Jackson there for a second, man. It's pretty good off the cuff. But that's what they did. That's who they are. I don't like this fingers in the ears. La, 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 la. I'm not listening to you. Well, couldn't you? I don't know. Disprove it? No, don't need to disprove it. I dislike it. That's enough. That's enough to lambast you, to label you, to ruin you. You know, I generally despise the concept of tenure, but every once in a while you see it being used to protect somebody who is sane and rational from the irrational mob. And you go, okay, I guess, but in general, I'm still against it. But you can see the need for it. You wouldn't need to see the need. We wouldn't have a need for it if we didn't have such a corrupt infrastructure in academia in the first place. And as Grover rightly pointed out, we have to stop funding this crap. A really good way and an easy way to do this, by the way, is something I've written about and spoken about before. Not to pat myself on the back, but we spend hundreds of millions of dollars in academia to study climate change. If you want to make sure that a grant, that you get a grant, that a grant is granted, approved, 
Throw climate change on there. Uh, I want to I study the mating habits of moose for whatever reason. You got a sick fetish. I don't care. You're probably, we got that box checked. We, we know what moose do. We know how it works. We're good. But then you say, I want to study the mating habits of moose and how it's impacted by climate change. Well, then suddenly everybody kind of, excuse me, leans up to the counter. The whole staff is running. Tell me more. Tell me more. And they're leaning in. Please tell me more. Here, how many zeros would you like me to put on this check? It is an industry. Now, what are we saying? And we spend a fortune studying, quote unquote, climate change and its impacts. Since most of the things that tell us climate change are, it's happening in real. The things that don't stand, well, they, they can't be scrutinized. They are computer models based on what will happen in the future. It's impossible to predict the future. They recognize it. They can't go back 10 years and tell you why, what happened and you know, why it didn't warm or whatever. They can't do that. So they predict in the future through computer models that never pan out. Can't take the computer model back 10 years and have it predict what actually happened, have it show what actually happened. They're way off. But they don't do that because it's about the money. So instead of funding this garbage, you should just say, well, the science is settled, right? You, you keep lecturing us on how the science is settled. So we accept your declaration. The science is settled. Therefore, there is zero reason to study it whatsoever. We can take the hundreds of millions of dollars we spend to fund climate change research, and we can zero that out. We can put it toward cancer. We can put it towards whatever, AIDS. We can put it, put it towards something else that the left can't go, well, wait a second, because it's settled science. It's settled science, right? Why are we studying? How many different grants are there from the government? How much money is being spent in academia to study whether or not the sun rises in the east, right? It's settled science. The sun is the center of our solar system. We don't need to study that. We know it. It's settled science. So why are we still spending so much money on climate change? Well, because it funds all of academia and it produces. It's really the second largest weapons industry in the country. There's the first, the Pentagon, the weapons industry for real. And then there is the weapons industry for the Democratic Party. And that's what that is. And that's what we fund. Maybe we should stop funding that. Wouldn't that be? That'd be fun. I'd like that. Since we've been talking about how horribly uh, historic, good Lord, she's so historic, Corinne Jean-Pierre is, we have, of course, the situation, and we've been talking about the border, we have the situation with the murder of Lake and Riley in addition to the other crimes I've told you about. And I'll, maybe I'll do like an illegal alien crime of the day, criminal of the day. But it's so bad, it's so funny, it's so dangerous that you really have to scour news reports and then eventually they'll break down and go yeah he might have been in the country illegally after days because they don't want you to know about it they don't want us to know about it they want to hide the impacts of their horrible policies they want to hide like i say the the blood that marinates through to the bone of these people on their hands they don't want us to know about it we can't we can only act on it we can only vote on it if we know about it so they do all they can to hide it from us 
because there's nobody who goes, you know what, I'm a fence sitter. I wasn't sure which way I was going to go. But now that I know that there are a whole bunch of criminal illegal aliens coming into this country and the Biden administration is not only not vetting them, they're sort of encouraging the whole Well, now that, that just locked up my vote because that's what I want. I want more of that. If we could get El Salvador to enter and to empty their prisons... Actually, now that I think about it, there are a lot of leftists who are really wildly committed to letting every prisoner in this country go. They'd probably welcome prisoners from other countries too. Uh, sort of bastardized Muriel boat march. Because if look, if you're if you're a third world country, if you're Venezuela, you don't have no no country other than the United States should have the best interests of the United States at heart, right? They just shouldn't. It's weird, and where the liberals really do the damage is they don't even have the best interests of the United States at heart. They, for the Americans here, the Democratic Party is not really interested in what's best. That's why they get so offended at the concept, just the concept of the words, America first. Why would you be upset by that? You're an American, should you not? Should not everybody who's involved in politics in the United States of America put the country first? Should that be, how is that controversial? It's not, unless you're a leftist. Then it's like, well, it's racist, it's xenophobic. Um, okay, let's take Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, majority black country. Where do you think their policies are? Do you think they go, what we really need to do is put Belgium first? I don't give a damn about Belgium. It's Zimbabwe first. That's just how China, just China really sitting around going, well, we really should take India into account. No, of course not. That would be stupid. It'd be suicide, too, in China. But they put their interests first, their nation's interests first. What the hell's the point of a government if it is putting the interests of people other than its citizenry first? I don't know. Democrats have never been asked that question. And they probably wouldn't have a good answer. They'd just scream xenophobe and run out of the room. But they um, operate under these assumptions. And so many people in this country operate under the assumption that our government puts our interests first. It's not true. Let's look at. Let's talk a little bit about the murder of Lakin Hope Riley. The White House has commented on it. They were forced to comment on it. They could no longer ignore it. God, they tried. Boy, how did they try to ignore it as best they could. They released a written statement on it, which is, I'd say it's the least they could do. It's, it's almost less than the least they could do. Because the, it's not just the, the physical act of writing the, the statement. The statement itself leaves a lot to be desired. Say, quote, this is the entirety of the statement. We would like to extend our deepest condolences to the family and loved ones of Lakin Hope Riley. People should be held accountable to the fullest extent of the law if they are found to be guilty. Given that this is an active case, we would have to refer you to state law enforcement and ICE, end quote. That's it. That's the entirety of the statement. 
It could not be cold. We'd like to, sorry about your daughter's murder. Sorry about that. People, people, people those, not, couldn't even go those responsible. There's no mention of it. They might as well write for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. They don't mention the fact that it's an illegal alien, which is a fact you have to hunt for in all of these cases. You have to hunt for it. It takes many, many reports to finally get around to going, yeah, okay, probably. Nothing. It's just people should be held accountable to the fullest extent of the law. It's just, huh, generic. The only thing not generic about this is Lake and Hope O'Reilly. Our deepest condolences. They don't even say thoughts and prayers. They don't even bother with that. They just go, sorry about that. Quit whining. We can't talk about it. Ongoing case. Blah, blah, blah. See you around. That's it. It could not be more callous. Uh, except if they went and delivered the statement at the funeral. No official statement from Corinne Jean-Pierre from the White House podium. I don't even know if she's been asked about it, to be honest with you, but I did a little bit of looking. I couldn't find any, I couldn't find anything online other than that statement. Even video of her. See, this is probably why the question wasn't asked in the White House press briefing room. Karen Jean-Pierre would defer to that statement. We've issued a statement and we're just going to stand by that. That would look terrible. That would look bad. And so the White House press court knows not to ask that question, not to ask questions about Lake and Riley. The White House has already said, well, the White House has already addressed it. There's no point in us asking these questions. And then you think back to the Trump administration where every single day they ask the same damn questions. Every single day, hoping to find a discrepancy, ready to debate, chomping at the bit, ready to fight. And you know, that's, that seems a little bit different than things are now, doesn't it? It's weird. It's a little bit odd. But the wildly historic Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked about Aaron Bushnell. Aaron Bushnell is the lunatic leftist Democrat voter. Not really going out on a limb there. Democrat voter MSNBC viewer who set himself on fire in front of the Israeli embassy to protest the genocide. It's the worst genocide ever. There are more Palestinians living in Gaza and the West Bank now than there were 10 years ago. Again, if Donald Trump's a racist and a, an anti-Semite, he sucks at it. Somebody's got to explain to him how to do this. Maybe, maybe you could talk to Joe Biden, since Joe Biden was so close with all the racist, segregationist Democrats when he first got into the United States Senate and used to brag about it. Oh, yeah, they took me in. I was right there with those good old boys. Why, Delaware was a slave state. Call up Joe and say, Joe, Donald Trump, is accused of being a racist and a, an anti-Semite constantly, but he's not very good at it. Sucks at it. Like, for example, he doesn't actually hate Jews. And he's not really, a, a, you know, a racist. Could you explain to him your party's history? And maybe try and convince him? Show him, because he's supposed to be these things and he's not. No, they'll never do that. I just love pointing out Joe Biden's real history rather than the one he repeatedly tells but she was asked about Aaron Bushnell now keep in mind the in the context of the statement that I just read you from the White House on the murder 
of Lake and Riley. Now, the person who released that statement is only billed in the report as a White House spokesperson. They didn't even bother to put a name on it. God, you talk about pathetic. You talk about callous. And now here comes Corinne Jean-Pierre asked about Aaron Bushnell, and you tell me which one sounds more remorseful. Which one sounds like it impacts the White House, like the White House cares more? And I'll read you the Lake and Riley piece, the, the statement, because it's so damn short and pathetic. And then we'll play the other one. Okay, so the Lake and Riley thing was, we would like to extend our deepest condolences to the family and loved ones of Lake and Hope Riley. People should be held accountable to the fullest extent of the law if they are found to be guilty. Given this is an active case, we would have to refer you to state law enforcement and ICE. End quote. That's it. That's the whole thing about a nursing student, 22-year-old American murdered by an illegal alien. Now here's the leftist Democrat, probable Biden supporter, more than likely a Bernie Sanders campaign volunteer at one point. The discussion of the White House, or the words of the White House on that. Um, Yesterday, Chairman died after he set himself on fire outside an Israeli, or outside the Israel embassy. Was the president aware of his death? Does he have any sort of response to it? Yes, uh, the president is aware, uh, and uh, we can. I can say that it is obviously is a it's a uh, horrible tragedy, and our thoughts are with the family uh, of the service member. Uh, at, during this, I can we can't even imagine this hor- horrible, difficult time. Uh, the Department of Defense and the Metropolitan Police are looking into this, so we're not going to get ahead of that. So I would I'll certainly refer you to them. Uh, but it is uh, it is a horrific tragedy, uh, what what occurred uh, the other day. She called it some form of a horrible or horrific tragedy three times in that clip, and said that it is an ongoing. There's an ongoing investigation, Pentagon and police. She's able to comment. She's able to qualify it. She's able to put those uh, adverbs and adjectives under it. It's a horrible tragedy. It's just awful. Just a shame. Compared to, we would like to extend our deepest condolences to the family and loved ones of Lake and Hope Riley. People should be held accountable to the fullest extent of the law if they are found to be guilty. That's all we can say. Screw off. A leftist commits suicide. Set himself, died after setting himself on. He didn't die after setting himself on. It's a suicide, okay? It's a suicide. That was the point of it. Nobody goes, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and I'm going to set my shoes on fire. And that's going to be it. And that will be my protest. No, he killed himself. He didn't go there going, boy, I hope that some... If you're going to do that, I'm going to set myself on fire. Then you go there to the cause, and I hope to live. You go there with a fire extinguisher. You go there with other people ready to put you out the second you do it. He killed himself. He was a lunatic, leftist, rabid, anti-Semite, left-wing activist who, honestly, if he could have, you know, if, you, if you're willing to do this, this is the suicide bomber mentality. I give him, this is the, the shooter, suicide by cop, and I'm going to kill as many people as possible. I give him credit for doing it right, in the right order. He killed himself. He didn't go into the Israeli embassy or go into some synagogue and try and shoot up people the way other Democrats have in the past. That I give him credit for. 
but he's insane. He's mentally unstable. Not worthy of, oh, the deepest condolence. It's a horrible tragedy. It's not a horrible tragedy. A horrible tragedy would be if he walked down the street and somebody threw gasoline on him and set him on fire, right? That would be a horrible tragedy. You listen to that statement compared to the written statement about Lake and Riley. And you think, my God, these people, their priorities are so absolutely screwed up. It is beyond belief. January 6th is worse than Pearl Harbor and 9-11 put together. Why? How? Well, as a horrible, as an insurrection without arms, without a plan that just peacefully broke up after three hours and a whole bunch of selfies. That that's an insurrection. What are they? To go by the Viagra rule, if your insurrection lasts more than four hours, consult a physician. Well, it's been three hours. Let's let's get out of here so we don't have to get any weird, awkward conversations with our doctors. But a lunatic, one of their own. Suddenly, it's somebody they care about. Huh? Isn't that weird? Then it's tragedy. It's a tragedy. It's one of those things, my God, we hope no family has to suffer. What? Liberalism? I, too, hope and pray that no family out there ever has to suffer liberalism. I truly, genuinely do. It's sick. And there was no follow-up question pointing out, hey, you know, you, you kind of released a watered-down statement about Lake and Riley. It was, it was on paper. It was, would you care to comment about it? None of that. None of that at all. There's no discussion of that, no acknowledgement of that, no concern over that. I just want you to be aware of what's going on. I don't think, I don't tell people what to think. All I do is give you the information. But every once in a while, there are, well, most of the time, honestly, if you're a rational thinking human being and you have two brain cells to rub together, the conclusion to be drawn is the obvious one. And it's really, in some cases, the only one. In this case, it's the only one. The only one. As of right now, there's, uh, you know, in other news, there's Hunter Biden's up on Capitol Hill. And you go, no, Hunter Biden, he's test. It's behind closed doors. Stuff's going to leak out. I'd give it 24 hours before more interesting things leak out because the partisans are going to come out. Like, I'm a partisan, too, but they're going to come out and say this. And the other side's going to say that. And then eventually we'll find out the truth. And we'll discover that Democrats are lying. But The Hill's reporting Hunter Biden testified Wednesday that he, quote, did not involve, end quote, his father, President Biden, in his business dealings, delivering the message at the beginning of his highly anticipated deposition as part of the GOP's impeachment inquiry. Quote, here's what he said in the statement. I am not here today to provide the committee's or I I am here today to provide the committees with the one uncontestable fact that should end the false premise of this inquiry. I did not involve my father in my business. Not while I was a practicing lawyer, not in my investments or my transactions, domestic or international, not as a board member, not as an artist, never. I will not eat green eggs and ham, said Sam, I am. <laughs> or say I don't know which one was Sam I am, but whatever. Um, yeah, except for all the times that you did, Hunter, and all the times that you, he was copying you on emails under assumed names, 
on the very topics that you were being paid large sums of money in industries you were unqualified for. Why does your family have so many LLCs if nobody is involved in your business? Why does so many of your family members and your father, both directly and indirectly, receive so much money from the companies and clients you had from around the world if they had nothing to do with their business? Was part of your employment some sort of guilt-ridden son, survival son thing that says, as a condition of my employment, I want you to also pay my family members? Because I don't think that would fly. I think they'd look at you and go, we're giving you $80,000 a month. You do with it what you want. But we're not going to run something through 15 shell corporations to get to your your niece's bank account. Your niece. Here, we'll pay your niece when your niece can find Ukraine on a map. All right? Go. Hell. If, if Hunter were held to that same standard, he would have never been paid. So I expect a whole bunch of stuff to come out about this. Hunter Biden is, he has every, every reason to lie, right? Every reason to lie and no reason to fear being caught lying. Why? Oh, he might embarrass his father, but if his father loses re-election, his father can pardon him. Lying before, it's not like lying, lying in state court. This is federal. This is Congress. It's, well, of course, it would have to be the Biden administration that would prosecute him, although maybe they could fear that the Trump administration would go after him. So Joe Biden would simply pardon him if he loses on his way out the door. You bet your ass Hunter would get a blanket pardon. If Joe Biden wins, that means he'll never again face voters, which again frees up Joe Biden to offer his son a pardon. So realistically and cynically, but they so often go hand in hand. Hunter Biden is gambling with house money. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter. He's he's taken care of either way. So there's no reason, honestly, for him not to lie. You can't say, well, he's a moral. You can't say he's a moral. The videos and the pictures of this guy, you can't say he's a moral man. Even if you say, well, that was the drugs. N- no, the drugs didn't. You didn't get so high you decided to document 500 different encounters with prostitutes. No, there's something else going on inside of you that's broken. All right. Lastly, I want to play. I want to let you know what's going on up in Canada. I want to play you a clip from the Minister of Justice and Attorney General, a guy named Arif Varini. Varni? I don't know. V-I-R-A-N-I. They're introducing the online harms bill up there in Canada. You think, well, they're Canada. They're just like us. They're not anything like us. But progressives are progressives everywhere. We have different. We have restrictions on our government, and our Democrats look up to the liberals up in Canada and around the world as they're oppressing their people and going, God, I wish we could do that. How do we? And, and of course, what they really want to do is pack the Supreme Court because then you don't have to amend the Constitution. Then you don't have to find out how unpopular your ideas are. You can just impose your will. You can get rid of the somebody who will not adhere to the restrictions placed on government by the Constitution. You can you can do whatever the hell you want. Well, they have this piece of legislation that they're introducing. This from the BBC. Canada has introduced a new bill that aims to combat online abuse with steep penalties uh, for hate crimes, including life imprisonment for inciting genocide inciting genocide. 
The proposed Online Harms Act requires social media platforms to remove posts such as those with uh, sexualized children within 24 hours. See, they wrap it in children. It's weird. You can put this stuff in a school library, but if you post it online, oh, no. I think you should have a problem with it in both places. But it could be if you want to combat the sexualization of children, sexual assault, you could do that separately. But instead, they're using the children as the cudgel, as the peanut butter they put the pill in for the dog to get the rest of what they really want through. See, it lists the bill lists seven categories of harmful content that providers would be required to remove from their websites. Banned content includes posts made by and made to bully a child or those encouraging self-harm. The proposed act would create a Digital Safety Commission of Canada to regulate online platforms. Stifling speech. Quote, we know the harms. Uh, let him speak for himself. Here is, in fact, the Attorney General of the, st- of the country of Canada and the Minister of Justice talking about this bill. This is what the Online Harms Act will do. Under this bill, major online services will have three overarching obligations. A duty to protect children, a duty to act responsibly, and the duty to remove the most egregious content. This bill targets the worst of what we see online, content that sexually victimizes children or re-victimizes survivors, intimate content shared without consent, content that incites violence, extremism or terrorism, content that incites violence or foments hatred, and content that is used to bully a child or induce a child to self-harm. This bill will establish a new Digital Safety Commission to make sure that online services comply with their new obligations, as well as an ombudsperson to advocate for users and victims of online harm. We will not tolerate the bullying of children, okay? Or anybody that bullies anybody or makes any, incites violence or hatred. Incites hatred? How do you you incite hatred? Somebody could easily be seen as, quote, or declared to have, you notice how they moved from children to not children, but they didn't draw any differences between the, they're wrapping it in the children. Uh, they want to, ins- anything that inspires hatred. Well, who cares? I, I hate, now I hate that guy. Now I hate that guy because of the things I'm learning about that person. I'm not going to act on it. I'm not going to do anything. It doesn't matter. You've inspired hatred. The person who did it, who inspired that hatred, can then be subject to prosecution for speech, not for actions, not even for actions of others, for the emotional response of others, for the mental, internal response from others. That is what Canada is trying to criminalize. That's what Canada is, in fact, criminalizing. And you're sitting there and you're going, this seems like a dangerous, slippery slope. It's not the right way to look at it. Oftentimes, when you're talking about slippery slopes, you're talking about consequences, unintended consequences, of which the people setting things in motion for these unintended consequences for occur are unaware of it. You can start off with the best of intentions, and then the unintended consequences actually make things worse. And you're surprised. You're, oh my goodness, what happened there? It's an unintended consequence. And most normal, rational people would then stop what they're doing that is having the negative unintended consequence. 
In this case, the negative consequence is not intended. It is the intention. It's what they're doing. It's why they're doing it. It's beef. It's what's for dinner. The rest of it, all the rigmarole, all the side dishes, all the wrapping, you can put together a very, very elaborately wrapped box with bows and certain pretty papers and everything to have a turd inside the box that's what this is they're giving you everything else that individually would be non-traversial it wouldn't be controversial at all also they can get through to silence what they know to be their opposition it's just how it works they wouldn't ram them all together if they weren't really doing it for what you know they couldn't get past otherwise it's how the left works. It doesn't matter if it's in Canada or here. They're bad. That's enough for today. I say have an awesome, awesome leap day. Enjoy it, man. It's an extra day. Everybody should. It should be a holiday. Every four years, have a day off. It should be like everything is shut down. Make it like the purge, even police. No. But, you know, it should be a holiday. Anyway. Have a uh, great one. We'll be back to wrap up the week tomorrow. Thank God the weekend. I'll see you then.